Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, Job chapter number 15, and we are, of course, making our way through the book of Job on Wednesday nights, and we are taking one chapter a week and learning from it and studying it, and uh, tonight we begin here in chapter 15, and this actually is the beginning of round two. And if you remember, the book of Job, the, the primary uh, part of the book is a conversation between Job and his friends, and there are three uh, cycles or three rounds to these conversations. Job began by speaking, then his, then his uh, Eliphaz started speaking, and Job responded to that, and then uh, his other friend, and Job responded to that, and another friend, and, and this is the cycle. We'll have three of these cycles, and in this uh, chapter, we have Eliphaz speaking uh, again. If you notice there in Job 15 and verse 1, the Bible says this, Then answered Eliphaz the Temanite and said, so this is a second uh, time that he's speaking and beginning the second round of these uh, conversations between Job and his friends. And unfortunately, uh, Eliphaz does not really bring any new material to the conversation. He doesn't bring anything new to the table. And uh, he talks a lot, but he does basically just makes the same arguments. And this is what we're going to see with Job's friends. They, they basically just keep saying the same things over and over. Uh, but what I want to do tonight is I, I want to try to point out a few things that are unique in this chapter. And I want to begin by just showing you a couple of common tactics used by people when they are losing an argument. Because here in chapter 15, we started round, uh, round two, right? Which means that Job spoke, then his friends spoke, and then Job uh, concluded. And Job is basically just winning the argument at this point. I'm sorry, this tie keeps bothering me. Job is winning the argument at this point, and his uh, friends are going to continue to speak for two more rounds, but we'll notice that they'll speak less and less, and they've got uh, less to say, and Job is just kind of making them look stupid, and what happens is, and and they've already done this, and we're going to see them continue to do it through the book, but we'll see in this chapter just a couple of things that happen uh, whenever someone is losing an argument. And here's the reason why it's good for you, you and I to kind of identify this. Number one, because like we learned on Sunday morning, as Christians, sometimes our job is to convince the gainsayer, is to uh, exhort people and to try to teach them what's right. And obviously, we want to be careful with that and how we do it. We want to be tactful and we want to use good people skills. But uh, oftentimes, it's our job to stand up for the truth and to speak the truth uh, uh, when, when talking about the things of God. And it's good for you to know when you see these uh, two common tactics uh, used on you, uh, it's, you, it's good for you to identify them, and it's also for you to, good for you to know this so that you don't use these, so that you don't do these things. So the first thing I want you to notice that Eliphaz does is he uses the ad hominem attack. And the ad hominem attack, or ad hominem, I'll just give you a definition for that. It's an argument directed against a person rather than the position uh, they are maintaining. So oftentimes what happens is you'll start debating doctrine with somebody, or you'll start, uh, you know, uh, talking about truth. And again, we want to be careful about, we don't want to be debaters, that's a word that's used to uh, describe reprobates, but from time to time, we have to try to, you know, earnestly contend for the faith, and we have to try to stand up for the truth. And what will happen is the enemy, when they can't fight against your position, when they can't beat you based off what the Bible says, they'll just start 
personally attacking you. And this is what we see here with Job's friends. They've been doing this the whole time, but notice in verse 2, notice what Eliphaz says, because this is his chance, right? I mean, Job just got done going through and explaining things and putting things in perspective and, and, and correcting all of their fallacies. And then in verse 2, here's what Eliphaz says. He says, should a wise man utter vain knowledge? And here's what he's saying. He's saying, Job, you're not a wise man because you're uttering vain knowledge. He says, you know, everything you said, Job, was vain. He says this, and fill his belly with the east wind. And if we have time, uh, we'll come back and, and look at that phrase, the east wind. But I want you to notice he's basically calling Job here. He's saying, Job, you're just full of hot air. You're a windbag, Job. Everything you're saying, you're just filling your belly with the east wind. You're not a wise man because you're uttering vain knowledge. And and he's saying, I thought you were wise, Job. You know, should a wise man utter vain knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? You're just a a windbag. You're just full of hot air. Notice verse 3. He says, should he reason with uh, unprofitable talk or with speeches wherewith he can do no good. Here's what he's saying when he says, should he reason with unprofitable talk? He says, Job, all your talk is unprofitable. Now, what's interesting is that when we get to the end of the book of Job, God basically steps into this conversation and says, hey, everything Job said was right and everything you guys said was wrong. But his friends here are saying, your talk is unprofitable. He says, or with speeches wherewith he can do no good. He's saying, look, all your speeches, all your talks, they're not profiting anything. They're not accomplishing anything. You're not fooling anybody. You're not convincing anyone. Notice verse 4. He says, yea, thou castest off fear and restrainest prayer before God. And it's interesting because Job is really a prayer warrior. And the fact that they would uh, uh, accuse him of restraining prayer before God. Verse 5. Notice what he says. He says, for thy mouth uttereth thine iniquity. And he says, he says, and thou choosest the tongue of the crafty. He, he's saying, I don't even have to answer you, Job, because your mouth uttereth thine iniquity. But here's what's interesting. His friends keep telling him, you're, everything you're saying is wrong. But notice, they don't point back and say, here's where you're wrong, Job. You said X, Y, and Z, and let me explain to you from the Bible why that statement's wrong, why that belief is wrong. It's all these generalities, thy mouth, I don't even have to answer you, you're, you're, you're making a fool out of yourself, you're full of hot air, thy mouth uttereth uh, thine iniquity, thou choosest the tongue of the crafty, the word crafty means to be clever in the use of deceitful methods. They're saying, they're saying Job, you're, you're just deceitful, you're, you're a liar, you're very good, you're very crafty, but but we're not buying it. Notice verse 6. He says, Thine own mouth condemneth thee. He says, I don't need to answer you. And not I, and uh, uh, condemneth thee, and not I. Yea, thine own lips testify against thee. And again, they keep saying, you're, you're, you're uh, uh, testifying against yourself. You're making yourself look bad. But they never bring up, you know, well, what is it that he said? And in fact, Job, we've already seen him do this. He'll ask them like, well, what sin are you referring to? What am I doing that's so bad? What, you know, you keep accusing me of these things. But we see that his friends are just following the ad hominem attack, which means that if you can't fight Job on his position, if you can't fight him on logic, if you can't fight him on just, look, here's what the Bible says, here's what the Word of God says, here's what you should do, then if you can't attack the position, then just attack 
the person. And you know, here's what's interesting. If you look at our enemies, and I'm talking about the enemies of Verity Baptist Church, because our church has enemies, and, and churches of, of, of our stripe. You know, we obviously try not to be contentious people, but we will earnestly contend for the faith. We will stand up and preach the truth. And something you'll notice is whenever we go to battle or we go to fight, you know, we always go to fight with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I mean, we stand up and say, you people say, oh, you know, you preach those sermons against sodomy and homosexuals and you preach those angry sermons. But you know what? If you go back and you listen to those sermons, they're filled with Scripture. They're filled with the Bible. They're filled with the Word of God. We prove everything from the Bible. I mean, people may not like our stands on certain things, but everything we believe, every fight we engage in, every, fa- every, every battle we fight, we prove it from the Word of God. But if you watch our enemies, you know what they do? Just a bunch of lying, false, railing, personal attacks. And it's like, if you don't like our position on whatever, if you don't like our position on drunkenness, if you don't like our position on, on, on sodomites, if you don't like our position on what, politics, why don't you just prove us wrong from the Bible? But instead, they just make a bunch of videos about how you're this and you're that, and, and, and let me tell you everything bad about it, and they just make a bunch of stuff up. But this is what the battle is. When they can't fight you on your position, you know what they fight you on? They just try to slander you personally. I remember uh, a while ago, there was somebody who was attacking our church pretty harshly and, and pretty badly, and, and to the point where, uh, you know, there were some things that need, needed to be said and, 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 and preached and kind of put in order or whatever, and, and, and I try not to involve myself too much in these types of things, but from time to time, we have to defend ourselves and defend our position, and, you know, um, the, the, the response that I got back Literally, there were videos made responding against our church and fighting against church, and this was their argument. Oh, yeah? You're short. <laughs> and you think I'm joking, but I'm not. Literally, the argument, the, the, the oh, yeah, you know, well, well, yeah, how about this? You know, whenever you're fighting somebody and their response to you is, oh, well, you're short, you just kind of pretty much know you've won. <laughs> When, when, they, when there's nothing else that they can say, it's like, oh, man, thanks for letting me know. I, I wasn't aware. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, well, well, you, you're ugly, you know, or whatever. It's like, okay. You know, the ad hominem attack is the argument directed. And I'm not making that up. I mean, literally, that's the response. That's the argument. It is the argument directed against a person insulting them, lying about them, slandering them. When you can't attack the position, then you attack the person. And this is what we see Job's friends doing. They're just attacking Job. They're calling him names. They're calling him all sorts of, uh, uh, just, just insulting him. But nobody, they keep telling us he's a wicked sinner, but nobody has taken the time to say, and here's why, Job. Here's your problem, Job. Here's what you said, Job. Here's what you did wrong, Job. So whenever you're losing an argument, whenever somebody's losing an argument, you have these common tactics. The first is the ad hominem attack. And that's why, you know, people get really worried about, like, uh, you know, are, are the enemies are making all these videos and saying all these things about you. You know, it's like, hey, you know, if, if they're attacking us and just slandering us, railing accusations, false accusations against us, then we're right. You know, if they were, you know what I'd be worried about is if they were opening up the Bible and saying, well, let me show you why they're wrong on the, on the rapture. 
and they made arguments and were like, whoa, I missed that. You know, that's what would make me worried. The fact that they can't open the Bible and fight us on doctrine, fight us with the word of God. If they could open up the Bible and say, well, let me show you where they're wrong on the reprobate doctrine. Let me show you where they're wrong on the Jews. Let me show you where they're wrong on dispensationalism. But, you know, we, we fight all these battles, and then these guys just come back and say, oh, yeah, well, you're mean. And, and, and you're on the news. And, and people protested you. That, that, you must be a bad person. These ad hominem personal attacks. When you get them, when you get them, realize... That you, you must be right because they can't, they're not arguing, you're on the right track because when people can't fight you positionally, they will begin to attack you uh, personally. But I want you to notice a second common tactic that's used in, in these types of battles. And we have, first of all, the ad hominem attack, but secondly, we have the age attack. And notice, notice and, and I used to get this a lot, uh, you know, I, I'm getting it less and less. But, uh, you know, people used to always say, like, you're so, you know, you're, you're young. And, um, and I, I would just say, well, I'm getting older every day, you know. So eventually I'll, I'll cross that. Eventually I'll be on the way down, you know. I think I'm there. Uh, Job uh, 15, look at verse 7. Notice what, what, what Eliphaz says to Job. He says, he says, art thou the first man that was born? Or wast thou made before the hills? And here's what he's saying. He's saying, you're not that old. Job, hast thou heard the secrets, the secret of God, or, and dost thou restrain wisdom to thyself? What knowest thou that we know not? What understandest thou which is not in us? Notice verse 10. With us, here's the argument, with us are both the gray-headed and the very aged men, much elder than thy father. Now, what's the argument? Well, all the old people agree with us. All the older people are on our side. All with us are both the gray-headed and very aged men, much elder than thy father. Notice verse 11. Are thy constellations, the constellations means comfort, are thy constellations of God small with thee? And, you know, I just kind of have to chuckle at that because, like, what constellations have you guys brought from God? You've brought no constellations at all. They said, is there any secret thing with thee? Why doth thine heart carry thee away? And what do thy eyes wink at? Uh, that thou uh, turnest thy spirit against God. And let us such words go out of thy mouth. What is man that he should be clean? And he, sh- uh, and he which is born of a woman, that he should be righteous. Behold, he putteth not trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man, which drinketh iniquity like water. I will show thee, hear me, and that which I have seen, I will declare. And I keep thinking, like, well, go ahead and declare it. You know, it's like these preachers that keep saying, I'm going to preach real hard about sin here in about one minute. And it's like, but they never actually get to, like, actually preaching hard about anything. Notice verse 18. Which wise men have told from their fathers and have not hid it? Here's the argument. The argument is all the gray-headed men are with us, the very aged men, the much, much elder than thy father. He says, which wise men have told from their fathers and have not hid it. Here's the other argument. They'll attack you personally, and then they'll attack your age if they're able to. Go to the book of Leviticus, if you would. Leviticus chapter 19. Towards the beginning of the Bible, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. When we started Verity Baptist Church, 
Over 10 years ago, this, this movement, as sometimes it's referred to, was not a movement, was non-existing. It was just our ch- you know, we just started a church, and we had friends in Arizona that had uh, started a church, and we began to, uh, you know, talk about the things like the pre-tribulation rapture and, and showing fallacies and, and showing holes in it, and of course, you know, not too long after we started the church, the the the, the documentary came out uh, after the tribulation, all of that, and you know, over and over and over again, what we kept hearing, people attacking our position on end times. And here were their attacks. You know, the news doesn't like you. The, the people don't like you. You're mean. You preach mean. And you're young. You know, you, you guys are just young. All the gray-headed men are with us. All the old preachers believe uh, the pre-tribulation rapture. And I, and I want to try to help you understand this concept uh, in this balance of how we should treat those that are elder and how we should treat uh, uh, the young. But let me just say this. We should always stand with the truth. And, you know, people say, well, you know, the, the attack here that uh, they're attacking on, on Job is with us are both the gray-headed and very aged men, much elder than my father. And oftentimes people try to make you, you know, attack you by saying, well, you're young. Well, you don't know anything. And I want to take some time because, honestly, Eliphaz doesn't say much in this chapter. He just kind of keeps repeating himself and saying a bunch of stuff that doesn't make any sense. But I want to take some time and kind of explain to you what, you know, the proper balance should be with this idea of age and, and youth, all right? So let me, let me just kind of run a few verses with you, if you don't mind. Leviticus 19, if you would. And, and maybe you can write these down, if, 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 if you don't mind. Point number one, in, in regards to age is that we should respect elder people. People that are older than us, people that have lived longer than us, people that have, are, are down the road from us, deserve our uh, respect. Just we, we should be respectful towards them. Leviticus 19, look at verse 32. The Bible says this, Thou shalt... Now I want you to notice these words. This is a command. This is not, you know, a, a, a preference. This is a command. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head. This is a good thing that parents should teach their children. The Bible says, thou shalt rise up before the hoary head. What does that mean? The word hoary means gray or white or, or hair. It's referring to, to someone who their hair is turning uh, uh, gray and white. The Bible says, look, when, when, when somebody who's elder than you when they've got white hair, when they've got a hoary head, they've got gray hair, or they're, they're in that uh, age group, they begin to speak to you. You know what the respectful thing to do is to just stand up. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God. I am the Lord. I mean, that's what the Bible says. And, you know, I, we've tried to teach this to our children. I try to practice this. And I'm not perfect at it. I'm sure I've missed it from time to time. But there, there are times when maybe after the service or whatever, I'm sitting uh, in the foyer and uh, uh, one of the men in our church here that has a hoary head will walk up and start talking to me. I'll stand up. You say, why? Out of respect. You say, well, you're the pastor. But, but you know what? The Bible says that we should respect the hoary head. And, you know, we need to get back to this idea of just teaching our kids proper respect. Just there are some things, just proper tradition, just in our culture, it is appropriate when someone that's older than you is speaking to you, you know, you're sitting down while they're standing there, you know, you should stand up out of respect. You know, uh, the, the Bible says 
that thou shalt rise up before the hoary head. And I want you to understand, the Bible teaches this concept that in general we should be respectful to uh, the, the elderly and the older people. Go to 1 Timothy, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 5, if you find the T-books, they're all clustered together. 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And you know, let me say this. Right now, because of coronavirus, our church actually has a lot of elderly people in it. And when I say elderly, I'm talking about people that are uh, 70 and up. And, and, and a lot of those, especially ones that have compromised health, have not been coming to the services because of coronavirus. And we completely understand that and we agree with that. They've been live streaming and, and we've stayed in contact with them and, 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 and all of that. And that's great. But, you know, when, when this whole corona thing ends and they come back, teach your children, you, you shouldn't be running around older people. You know, sometimes you see a flock of kids just running across, and there's like a 70-year-old lady. Hey, you know, we got to teach our kids that we should be respectful to the elderly, that we should, we should realize that their, their, their strength is not the same as your 30-year-old mom, you know, and, and we should, when we are approaching them, we should approach with care, and we should care for them, and we should walk around them, and we should help them, and we should show respect to them. First Timothy 5, look at verse 1. Now, let me just say this. First Timothy 5, 1 is about, is, is talking about the word elder has a dual meaning here, and it is referring to both a pastor, and it is also referring to someone who's elderly. And you can look at it in the context. First Timothy 5 is obviously extremely clear that it's about a pastor because later in the chapter, he talks about the elder that ruleth well. And he talks about uh, to honor the elders that rule well, especially those that labor in the word and doctrine. Obviously, that's referring to a pastor. And the, the pastor is called an elder because not necessarily because of his physical age. And we'll look at it later on in the sermon. But Timothy who was a pastor, was told, let no man despise that youth. They're called elders because they're spiritually mature. But So there's a double meaning here, but it can be applied to both. It needs to be applied to pastors, but you can also apply it to just older people. Notice First uh, Timothy 5.1, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. And again, primarily we use this verse in reference to pastors, and that is correct, and that I believe is a primary use, but this can also be in reference to an older person. And you might say, well, well, how do, how do you know it can be in reference to an older person? Well, notice the context. He says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. And then he says this, and the younger men as brethren. So the context is about age. He says, look, someone who's elder, and in First in Timothy, elder, I'm sorry, I'm going to ruin some of you guys' day, some of you ladies' day. But uh, in First in, in Timothy, elder, we're told is 60 years old and up. Now, I, I realize that's not what the U, you know, United States uh, says or whatever, but that's what the Bible says. You know, when you're 60 and up, you're considered an elder. And he says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren. Notice the context, verse 2, the elder women, okay, that's not referring to a, a, a female pastor. I'm talking about an older lady. The elder women as mothers. Look, we're a family. We're a spiritual family, and the Bible says... Any older man in our congregation, you should entreat them as a father, and the elder women as mothers, and the younger men as brethren. And here's a good one for, for all the singles, and the younger as, uh, and the younger as sisters, notice how, how he adds his caveat, he says, with all purity. 
you, you, you young men, make sure you treat the, la- the young ladies in our church as sisters with all purity. All right? She's your sister in Christ. But notice that the Bible teaches this concept that we should respect elderly people. We should respect the elder. We should not rebuke an elder, but entreat him as a father. Again, usually refer that to a pastor, and that's definitely the, the application, but it can also be in reference to someone who's older. The Bible says, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head, and honor the face of the old man, and fear thy God, I am the Lord. And look, just we should teach this as actions to our children, but we should learn this as an attitude in our minds and in our hearts. Because we live in a culture today that just tells you, you know, old people, just, just send them away somewhere. Just get them out of the way, and, and, and they're, they're just in the way. But the Bible teaches that, look, we should love older people. We should learn from older people. My, my kids are really into this thing right now where they're, they're learning all about our family tree. And, and, you know, they've been talking to their grandparents and talking to their aunts and uncles and learning. I mean, they're teaching me stuff about our family, you know, and learning all about our family tree. But, hey, you know what? We should realize that there's some wisdom there in the older generation. We should talk to them. We should get their stories. We should learn from them. These are concepts that the Bible teaches. Go to, uh, keep your place there in 1 Timothy and go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 16. So he, let me just give you some ideas in regards to balancing this idea of age and youth, elders and youth. Number one, we should respect elder people, just in general. But number two, we should realize that the value of an elder person's influence, testimony, the value is in their godliness. The value is in their walk with God. Proverbs 16, 31, notice what the Bible says, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 31, the Bible says, the hoary head. Again, you see that word hoary, the graying white head. And look, if you get close to me, you're going to see I've got a lot of white hair, okay? And I'm not old. I'm only 34. It's you, it's the, you guys have done this. And, um, but, you know, but that's why I like these verses, because in, in just a few years, I'm going to be all white. The hoary head is a crown of gold. It's something to be proud of. It's, it, it, it's, it, it shows that, hey, here's a man that's been around for a while, and, and, and we can learn something from him. Notice, the hoary head is a crown of gold, but notice this, if it be found in the way of righteousness. Because, you know, the truth is this, that we've got a, a lot of elderly people today, we've got a whole baby boomer generation today of a bunch of hoary heads that are wicked as hell. And, and look, obviously, physically, we should be respectful to any elderly person, but, you know, we, we shouldn't just assume that because someone's old, they can teach us something, or they can, you know, we just elected the oldest president in the history of our nation, but I will tell you, that man is wicked as hell, and has nothing to teach us, and has nothing, now, obviously, if, if, if you meet him out in real life, don't, you know, push him over, <laughs> You know, he's 84 years old or however old he is, 78 years old. I don't know how old he is. He's old. Um, but, you know, obviously, physically, 
you should, you should be respectful to someone's elder, but realize that the hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. But you know, when you find the hoary head in the way of righteousness, when you find someone with gray hair, someone that's older, someone that the Bible calls an elder, someone that's 60 and 70 and 80 years old, and they're out soul winning, and they're preaching the gospel, and they're faithful to church, hey, that's a crown of glory. That, that should be the goal that we all have. I'm, I'm looking forward. You know, I, I'm, I, I feel like my wife, I tell my wife this, uh, you know, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm 34 and I'm going to be 35 soon and she's 35 and, you know, we've got six kids and I, I tell her, I feel like we're just priming the pump. We haven't even, we've not yet begun to fight. We're just, we're just getting started, you know. I think of, I, I, I am actually looking forward to, because there's one day when these six kids and however many kids the Lord gives us, you know, are going to be grown and hopefully they're going to be soldiers for the Lord and we're going to have grandchildren and we're going to be 70 and we're going to be 60 and 70. We're going to have a lot of time and Lord willing, if I don't fall apart, you know, I can be preaching and soul winning and, and doing, we can be serving the Lord together. Hey, the hoary head, if it be found in the way of righteousness, is a wonderful thing. You know, I, I love the fact that my dad is a soul winner, and he's at these missions trips, and, and, and he goes to Mexico, and he goes to the Philippines, and he goes to... My, my dad sometimes jokes with me and says, hey, you know, I was the oldest guy at the, you know, whatever missions thing uh, 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 event. And I'm thinking, praise the Lord. That's, that's a great testimony. That, that's something exciting for those of us coming behind to say, hey, you know what, I, I, can, I can get older and still serve the Lord. I can get older and still be excited for the things of God. I can get older and, and, and still work for the Lord. Moses just got started serving God at 80 years old. Caleb, as an old man, said, I want that mountain. It belongs to me. So we should respect the elder person. We should realize that the value of an elder person is in their walk with God, is in their godliness. The hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. Go to Isaiah 46, if you would. Isaiah 46, you're there. In Proverbs, you have Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then Isaiah. Isaiah 46, look at verse 4. Notice how God has a special love and care for a faithful and old saint. Someone who's been faithful and walking with him. Notice what God says to the elder saint who's faithfully walking with him. Isaiah 46 verse 4. And even to your old age, I am he. And even to your whore hairs will I carry you. I have... I have made, and I will bear, even I will carry, and will deliver you. You see how God has a love for the elder saint, who's faithful, who walks with him. Go, go back to 1 Timothy, if you would, 1 Timothy chapter 4. So in regards to age, this balance between old and young, you know, what's the Christian perspective? Well, number one, we should respect the elder person, the elderly. And, but number two, we should realize that the value of an elder person is in their godliness, in their walk with God, not just necessarily the fact that they're old. Because you know what? The devil's old too. But obviously, he's not godly. Here's point number three, or kind of idea number three in regards to this, this, this concept. 
We should not despise young people for their youth. First Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 12. And again, this is not, this is a verse talking to a pastor, a young pastor. And this was a verse that I would often, you know, quote and, and think about because, you know, when we started Verity Baptist Church, uh, I was 25 years old and, and we were young. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says this, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of believer in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith in purity. You know, and, and this is something that Pastor Anderson and I will talk about often because I think he was 24 or 25 or around that age. I was 24, 25. I, I get confused. I'm getting so old now I can't remember. But, um, you know, we were young. And, and by the way, let me just say this. I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend you know, sending out a 25-year-old to be a pastor uh, uh, today. And, and, you know, sometimes people hear me say, like, well, you're a hypocrite. You did it when you were 25. Yeah, but you know what? When we did it when we were 25, it was me, my wife, my two kids, and Brother Ray and Miss Denise in, in my living room, you know, for like a year and a half, you know, and, and of course, my family, you know. Um, it was, we weren't starting churches with 75 people in them like we're starting now. Uh, so obviously, things have changed a little bit. You know, we, we, we had some time to grow and make a lot of mistakes and say a lot of stupid things uh, before anybody really had a spotlight on us at, at that time. But the Bible says this, let no man despise thy youth. You know, in general, we should not despise young people for their youth. We should not just say, oh, well, you're just, a, we shouldn't be Job's friends making the argument like, oh, well, you're just young. You're stupid because you're just young. Now, here's the thing. Young people often are stupid. But don't tell them they're stupid because they're young. Tell them, here's why you're stupid, because you're saying X, Y, and Z, and that doesn't match up with the Bible. Here's the problem. It's not your youth. It's the fact that you've read the Bible cover to cover one time, and you're trying to correct a pastor who's read it 23 times. That's your problem. It's not that you're young. It's that you're an idiot. (laughs) You know, Um, the, but, but just simply because somebody's a youth doesn't, uh, doesn't require us to despise them. Let no man, the Bible says, despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word and conversation and charity in spirit and faith in purity. Go to Matthew 21, if you would. First book in the New Testament, Matthew 21. We should not despise young people simply for their youth. We should not despise young people simply for their youth. Here's point number four, statement number four. We should acknowledge that young people can speak truth. Look, just because somebody's young doesn't mean they're not speaking the truth. And if they're speaking the truth, we should accept it whether they're young or not. Matthew 21, look at verse 15. Notice what the Bible says. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, referring about Jesus, notice, they also saw this, and the children crying in the temple. That proves that the temple was family integrated. And uh, I'm just kidding, you know, they, when it says crying there, they weren't crying like, like weeping. They were, the, children, the children were yelling, though. They were shouting. And the children crying in the temple, saying, what were they shouting? Hosanna to the son of David, they were, uh, so, they were sore displeased. So the children saw Jesus, and this is, of course, Palm Sunday, and they're crying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Notice verse 16. 
and said unto him, so the Pharisees say to Jesus, hearest thou what these say? They're saying, are you hearing what these kids are saying about you? And Jesus said unto them, yea, have ye never read? And he quotes from the book of Psalms, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. So look, we should acknowledge the fact that a babe and a suckling, the Bible says, can have perfect praise. That a young person could speak the truth. That a young person could say something that's true and say something that's right. And for that reason, we should not despise them simply because they're young. Now, they might be saying something that's wrong, but let's figure out, you know, why is it wrong? Let's try to help them along the way and teach them, you know, well, here's what you're missing and here's what you're not thinking about and here's where where you're not uh, considering this or that. Go to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20, if you would, go, go back to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 20. Look at verse 29. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 29. Here's, let me recap the statements real quickly. Number one, we should respect the elder. Number two, we should realize that the value of an elder person is in their godliness. Number three, we should not despise young people for their youth. Number four, we should acknowledge that young people can speak the truth. Here's point number five. Young people should realize that they probably have a lot to learn. Proverbs 20 and verse 29. Notice what the Bible says. The glory of young men is their strength. The glory of young men is their strength. And the beauty of old men is the gray head. Now notice what's highlighted here between the young man and the old man. He says, you know what's great about a young man is that they're strong. This is what Proverbs says. Notice what he doesn't say. It's that they're smart. (laughs) I'm not saying that young people aren't smart, but that's not what he says. And then he says, the beauty of an old man is the gray head. What does a gray head represent? It It represents maturity. It represents the fact that you've been experienced. Look, experience experience. There's so much value in experience. I mean, I, I, the Lord has allowed me as a pastor to be able to help other pastors who are physically older than I am. They're older than I am as a person, but yet I've pastored longer than they have. So I have more experience, and sometimes they ask me questions, I say, yeah, I can deal with, you know, let me help you with that, or we've dealt with that in the past, or here's what we did in a situation like that. You know, what the Bible highlights is this, the glory of young men is their strength, and the beauty of old men is the gray head. And here's what God emphasizes, he says, look, young man, young man, what should you be, you know, focusing on? You ought to be focusing, you ought to be focusing on the fact that you're strong, and that you can work and that you can work hard, and that's what your focus should be, because as you work hard, you'll gain experience, and one day, you'll be the gray-headed man that can help lead the strong man with your experience and your maturity. I mean, look, and this is the problem that we have in churches like this, is that we get a bunch of young kids who've read the Bible one and a half times and think they can start going around and correcting all these pastors, You know, and they'll point at people like Pastor Anderson and myself. 
And I'll say, oh, well, when you guys were young, let me tell you something. My mom and dad are here. My family's here. My wife's here. You can, you can uh, you, uh, uh, you verify this with, with, with uh, the people that were there. Brother Ray and Miss Denise Anderson uh, were in my life when I was a young man. You all know what Pastor Anderson and I were doing when I was 16 years old, 17 years old, 18 years old, 19 years old, 20 years old? You know what we weren't doing? We weren't going around rebuking elders. You know what we were doing? We were going out sewing for eight hours a day. I mean, nobody in our church went soul winning for more than an hour. You can ask my parents. We, we just had this goal where we're going to go soul winning four hour, at least four hours every week, five, six hours every week. We had competitions where we would bring guests to church, and every week we had to bring somebody to church. You know what we were doing? We were working hard uh, with our strength. You know why? Because we had a lot of time. You know what young people have? A lot of time. Say, Pastor, do you go soul winning eight hours a week? Uh, now, you know, I'm, I'm 34 years old now. I've got a wife and six children and 150 problems called church people. <laughs> and you know what? I go soul winning, but no, I don't go soul winning eight hours a week. Because I, I, now I find myself more in the gray-headed stage. 150 gray heads. And here's, here's what, look, I'm not trying to mock you. I'm just trying to tell you, young man. You, you say, I don't know why the other guy keeps getting the raise and the other guy keeps getting promoted. Maybe because you're 18 years old and you keep showing up trying to tell your boss what he's doing wrong. Maybe you ought to just shut up and work. Amen. And, and you say, yeah, but he's not saying, you know, he's making me work harder because if he did it my way, it'd be easier. Well, maybe he realizes that you're strong. <laughs> maybe he's trying to teach you something. Or maybe he doesn't know a thing. But the point is this. You ought to work hard. When you're young, work hard. When you're young, use your strength. Get some experience. Learn something. The the Bible says the glory of the young man is their strength. And the beauty of old men is the gray head. So look, we need to have this balance. We shouldn't despise young people simply because they're young. But we should also realize, young people should realize, I probably don't have a lot of experience. And you know, the, the, thing about, the thing about experience is that you begin to see cycles. Go to the book of Ecclesiastes if you would. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. You know, recently there was this big fight uh, uh, with, with uh, Pastor Manly Perry. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I'm, this is not me getting in it, okay? You're not going to get a clip out of this. I, I, I don't care about the situation. I agree with everything that's been said. Some people ask me, like, are you going to make statements about Pastor Perry? Because he's preached here before. But I, I just feel like, you know, everything that's been said has been said. Everything that needed to be said has been said. And I don't really have anything to add uh, to the situation. I, I agree that what he's preaching is heresy. But here's what's interesting. You know, he started off by this whole, like, calling, attacking, calling upon the name of the Lord. But here, here's the funny thing about the whole calling upon the name of the Lord. After 10 years of ministry, you know what I've noticed? This is like the fourth time we've fought this battle. And those of you that have been with us for a while... You know, I'm to the point now when people are like, what do you think about calling upon the name of the Lord? I'm like, well, just l- listen to my sermon from three years ago when we were fighting this battle. And here's the thing. Three years from now, we're going to be fighting it again. Because you just begin to realize that it's just kind of the same cycles. Oneness will come back. Not calling upon the name of the Lord will come back. Weird things about hell will come back. The- there's no new thing under the sun. Everybody starts, ah, they think they figured something out. It's like, we've already had this conversation like five different times. Let me just, you know, here's a, let me send you a link. I don't want to have this conversation again. Just realize that when you've been around for a while, you begin to realize, oh, okay, yeah, this is an issue that we're going to just deal with. 
Because everybody deals with this. Everybody has issues with this. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, look at verse 9. The Bible says this, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes, but know thou... Look, listen to this, young people. You say, I'm young. Pray, oh, good, rejoice in that. But know thou that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. You know that God will judge you for what you did in your youth? Amen. And especially those of you that are grown up in this type of environment, unto whom much is given, the Bible says. Much is going to be required of you. Right. Notice Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Just flip one chapter over, look at verse 1. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Go back to Job, if you would. Job chapter, Job chapter 15. So we saw these two attacks, the ad hominem attack and then the age attack. And with the age attack, I want to take some time and just kind of Teach some balance here. Because here's what we don't want. We don't, you don't, we don't want you to hear me preach against wicked elderly people like Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi. And then you get this idea like, let's just be rude to all old people. No, you know what? That's not what the Bible says. We should respect elderly people. But we should also realize that the value of an elderly person is in their godliness and obviously, we don't respect a reprobate no matter how old they are. You know, and we don't, and, and, and we realize uh, that, that their, their value is in their righteousness. We should not despise young people for their youth. Look, we should not simply despise young people just because they're young. But, we, but, but, but don't take that to say, oh, I can never, you know, tell a young person they're wrong. No, look, you can tell a young person, mom and dad, you can tell a young person you're wrong because you're disobeying me because I'm your father and I'm your mother. You know, that's a legitimate argument. That's what the Bible says. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. But we shouldn't just despise people just because they're young. We should uh, acknowledge the fact that young people can speak the truth. And look, all throughout the Bible, you find young people that are loving the Lord and, and walking with God. Joseph was 17 years old when he's doing great things for God. David was just a young lad, just a young man when he's fighting the Lord's battles. So we should realize that young people can be used of God. That's why Paul told Timothy, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. And by the way, young person, let me just say this. Notice what he says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer. So if you don't want people despising your youth, maybe you should make sure you're living your life in such a way, living your life in such a way that people will respect you. Oh, well, Pastor Jimenez and Pastor Anderson, they were 25 years old when they started their churches. But you know what? When we were 25 years old, we weren't walking around with cats like this either. We weren't walking around with pants with rips in our pants. You know, maybe we were able to do something a little more mature because we acted a little more mature. We weren't playing a bunch of video games when we were 29 years old. Look, I'm, I'm just trying to help you. Let, let no man despise on you. Okay, well, don't forget the, but be thou an example of the believer in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. 
The Bible says, look, you, the way you dress, the way you carry yourself will matter how people treat you. So well, that's not right. Really? Because God, God said, look, God said that man will look on your outward appearance. Just realize that. Acknowledge that. Just, just Look, I walk in a store dressed like this. I walk in a store with a collar shirt on, tucked in. People just treat me a certain way. Right, right. You say, Everybody treats me like, you know, it's, uh, they, they treat, maybe it's the way you dress. Maybe it's the way you act. Maybe it's the fact that you can't figure out to take your hat off indoors, and when you have it on, you can't put it on straight. <laughs> Let no man despise thy youth, is what the Bible says. But it also says, be thou an example of the believer. Job 15. I'm not going to get to the east wind stuff. We'll save that for another service. But let me just kind of close this up. There's a lot of verses we didn't go into. And it's just because it's the same tired old prosperity gospel arguments. I'll point them out to you real quickly. But there's just really not much here that life has is saying any different than what they've already said. If you look at verse 20, Job 15 verse 20. The wicked man travaileth with pain all his days. So it's the same prosperity gospel. They're just telling Job. You're wicked, Job. That's why you're travailing. The wicked man travaileth with pain all his days. Look at verse 21. A dreadful sound is in his ears. In prosperity, the destroyer shall come upon him. So they're, they're, they're taking jabs at Job. You were in prosperity, Job, but the destroyer came upon you. Look at verse 22. He believeth not that he shall return out of darkness, and he is, uh, and he is waited for of the sword. He says, look, the sword is waiting for you. Verse 23, he wandereth abroad for bread. He, Job is broke right now. And they're saying, look, the wicked man is wandering abroad uh, for bread. Look at verse 24. Trouble and anguish shall make him afraid. Look at verse 25. He stretches out his hands against God and strengthens himself against the Almighty. Look at verse 29. He shall not be rich, neither shall his substance continue. They're just telling Job, hey, Job, they're preaching a prosperity gospel. If you were right with God, you'd be healthy and wealthy and strong. But look, that's not true. Say that to Jesus who, who looked at his disciples and said, you know, the, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the, man of, uh, but the Son of Man, uh, he says, I don't know where I'm going to lay my head tonight. Say that to the Apostle Paul. Say, say that to, to, to men of God that have served the Lord and, and, and not had the prosperity of this world. Look at verse 30. He shall not depart out of darkness. Look at verse 34. The congregation of hypocrisy shall be desolate. So it's just Eliphaz just repeating himself. The same garbage about prosperity gospel. And look, here's what the Bible says. Yea, all that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So don't get this idea that, oh, if I'm broke, if I'm broke, it's because I'm not right with God. Well, look, Maybe it's because you're not good with your money. <laughs> you know, maybe you need to budget a little bit. But, uh, but, but just realize that God never promised to make you rich. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. The Bible says, and having food and raiment, let us be there with content. God says, if you have food and you have clothes, and I promise you everyone in this room has ate within the last 24 hours, and it looks like you all have clothes on. So you have, you have nothing to be discontented with. And if you're discontented tonight, it's because you're not. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for this chapter. And Lord, thank you for the book of Job. And Lord, I do pray that you would help us to, to just always understand this, this balance. 
should not despise young people simply because they're young people, because young people can speak the truth. And when they speak the truth, we should listen, and, and we should uh, try to understand. But Lord, help us also not to raise a bunch of young people who think they can go around mouthing off to those that are elder than them, because the Bible does teach that we should respect, and especially, Lord, that we should realize that their value is in their righteousness. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to just have, have a church with this balance, where, where we have the, the elder that are teaching the right things and showing the right example. You have the young people that are working hard and, and getting some experience. Lord, I pray that, that, that you would help us all to have a goal to be that elder person one day that can be found in the way of righteousness. Lord, we love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.